we've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about relationship. And so relationship as it pertains to ministry. Relationship is important. When we first talked about, uh, um, when we first started talking about ministry, we started talking about having a connection or being engaged in the ministry and how it's important for everybody to understand you have a part in this. And then we start talking about relationship, having a relationship. You know, we live in a society today, and some of this is going to come out and just, I had an order how I'm going to present this, but you know, I love how God works. He says, I'm doing it my way. You just follow me. But we live in a society where things have become so mechanical. Now, it's amazing to me that little things like communication, there have been a lot of devices that have been designed to help communication or help us communicate more. But oddly enough, with all the devices that have been designed, we seem to be getting worse at communication. In fact, it seems to be creating more miscommunication than anything. So all these venues of of communication is impairing our ability to communicate. It's creating more distance between folks. When you have folks that can't talk together socially, face-to-face, but we can text better than we can interact personally, we got a problem. I just had an opportunity to sit outside just for a few minutes and was talking with my neighbors just the other day. And, and it just wasn't, it wasn't one of those things that we just set up a meeting and we said, we're going to meet at the grill and we're going to start talking. But it was a social interaction. I'm out there for a purpose and we see each other and we, hey, how you doing? How many people you walk by today and they don't say anything, but if you text them, send them a friend request on Facebook you might get accepted. I can control how much I socialize. And even within the church body is one of those things that's just causing more separation than anything. I can't talk to you face to face to tell you how I feel, but I can send you an email. And then the problem with that is, and I'm not knocking it, it's, you know, email, all those things, that's good. You know, they come in handy because... I can tell you right now, for those of us who've been in the military, you know how much time it took back in the day when you had to mail out a letter, and it took quite a while for you to get the letter to the individual. By the time you got the letter to the individual out there downrange or, or back in the rear, that event is passed, the memory is already passed, you're going on to something else. Then when you get the response to the letter... It's a while later, right? So waiting on mail. I mean, mail has gotten quicker, but it's still not as quick as an email. Of course, now the recipient has to read the email. So, you know, sometimes it's still a week before you (laughs) get a response. But it's designed to be quicker. So those things come in handy. They help. They can be a help. But our society is relying on those devices and those venues as a crutch and as an excuse not to connect. So we are living in a society that's becoming more disconnected than anything else. You got parents, or excuse me, children, who in the same household texting their parents. 
I'm going to tell you what I tell my daughter a lot of times, and she don't have a phone, not, and she ain't getting one. My son, he don't have a phone. He don't need one. We always tell him, my wife, you know, we've been blessed. She doesn't work. Not because she can't work, but she doesn't work. One of the things, this is what, no, let me finish. Let me finish. I want y'all, y'all ladies throwing stones. My wife know how I feel. I always say the same thing about it. She doesn't have to go out and be employed in a job, in a secular job. This is what I told her from day one. I said, listen, I said, if you choose to, by all means, you can work. It's not a matter of capability. But I'm letting you know that I'm willing to work three jobs before you have to work one. Now, this was, my, this was part of my commitment to her. And to this day, we have been blessed where my wife is able to stay at home. This is where I was getting at. So y'all cut me off, but this is where I was getting at. Because there is a lot of things going on in the home that she does. She takes care of the home. And we believe that's the way it's supposed to be. But she does that with joy. She has no problem doing that. So I try to fulfill my responsibilities and doing what I'm supposed to do to provide and make sure that my family's, you know, got what they need and so on and so forth. And my wife has the luxury to do the things that she needs to do at home without having to worry about the stress of secular jobs and employment and employers, so on and so forth. You don't have to answer to nobody else. This is your household. This is your domain right here. And you have the liberty to do what you need to do what God is calling you to do. Now, I'm saying that I don't have the time to even go into all that because that's a whole other lesson that we could go into talking about the design of the home. It's not chauvinistic. I am so sick and tired of our society making what God has designed as the perfect plan to look bad. You don't have to agree with me, but that's, what we're, that's where we're at. That's where we are at. You can't even come and start a conversation from the scriptural preference of the way the home is supposed to be before someone is ready to shut you down in our society. But the reason why I bring that up is because with all the things that my wife does, she's taking care of stuff, you know, so on and so forth. So she's able to see what's going on in the atmosphere. She's not, she's not blinded because she's distracted by everything else going on outside of the home. She's able to focus on what's going on because I'm not able to be there 24-7. So I thank God that I have my wife able to have a visual of what's going on. She's aware. I love that. I, I know that we are not living in a traditional society. I know everything is not, you know, based upon the cookie cutter, the way the scripture says it's supposed to be, but it doesn't make it right. Y'all all right? See, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Look, I'm, I'm just speaking the truth. I understand we are in a different time. Things are different, but it doesn't change the way God designed things to be. This is part of the problem. Folks ain't saying it. We're too busy trying to coddle people instead of speak the truth. You can take it or leave it. That's up to you. But God has a design, and we're going to talk about that. We're going we're gonna to look at it in the Scriptures so you see what the Word of God is saying. Amen? Because everything ought to be done decent and in order. So <clears throat> the reason why I bring that up, though, I was talking earlier. My daughter, 
she has i gave her a keyboard you know a couple weeks ago and so she likes to play her keyboard in her room and you know she likes to go up there but one of the things i do with all of my children i say listen i don't mind you going up there and doing a thing here or there so on and so forth but you will not spend hours on end in your room separated from everybody else i refuse to have that happen think about it that's how it starts who do you think is waiting for someone's mind to be their playground? It's the enemy. So if I'm isolated, I don't have to be doing anything bad. But if I'm just there, idle, y'all heard the saying, an idle mind is the devil's playground, right? Innocent child that just got used to being isolated. And then someone wonders why they start cutting themselves and why they start doing gothic stuff and all that other crazy stuff that some of our young people are getting into. Magic and sorcery, witchcraft and all these other things. You're not watching. You don't know what they're doing. And then to top that off, doors are closed. Let me tell you something. This is, listen, I'm not telling you to, what to do in your house. I'm just telling you what works in my house. Something that God convicted me about. Closed doors. Me and my wife, we only close our door when we getting dressed. There's another moment. But usually our kids are asleep by then. So they don't even know. But we keep our door open. And I, t- and I explain this to my children. I says, they asked me and I said, listen, here's the deal. I said, I'm trying to help you. I said, because having a closed door can develop a psychological mentality that you are blocked off. If I allow you to keep your door closed, I tell my son, as old as he is, I said, listen, son, I got it. You got to change. You got to dress. You need privacy for that part of it. You can close the door. But as long as you're actively getting dressed, not closing your door and playing games, in transition to get dressed if you're not actively getting dressed you better have some clothes on and that door needs to be open i tell my children a lot of times listen this is my house i will come in your room unannounced i don't need permission to come into your room if i want to look in your drawers i'm gonna look in your drawers now it's not (laughs) it's not to demean or belittle But I'm teaching them something. I'm engaged. I'm involved in your life. That's my job. How can I watch for you if I don't even know what's going on in your life? Is this a foreign concept? I need to be involved. Now, I know I can't be in your school classroom every second of the day. I can't be walking through the halls of your school every day. But as much as I'm involved in your life, guess what I'm going to do? When I can't be with you, guess what I can do? I can call to the Father. That's why we pray with our children before they go to school. Lord, keep your hand upon us. We tell them to listen to the teacher, but we don't know what influence the teacher is under. So we're going to pray for our children to make sure ain't no spiritual influence trying to attach itself to our children. This is necessary. 
Amen? It's important. It's important. I don't even know why I said all that. But, oh, that's why I said it. Because we are becoming disconnected as a society. This is what we're dealing with. There's a huge disconnect between parents and children, between husband and wife, between saints and the pastor, between the church and Christ, on and on and on. So let's talk about this. Because I'm going to try to connect, make the connection here between husband and wife. Some would say, well, why is it really necessary to talk about that? Because there is a relation or there's, there's a connection that you can make between husband and wife or the relationship that exists between a husband and wife and between the church and Christ. First and foremost, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, as you're turning there, we know the setting is that Eve had a dialogue with the serpent. The serpent's intent was to mislead or deceive Eve into doing something that God said she wasn't supposed to do. They were not supposed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan's intent was to deceive her. Now, Eve was married to Adam. This relationship was established by God. God made Eve, brought Eve to Adam. The scripture lets us know at the end that the two becomes one. Father or the, the husband, the man will leave his father and mother, become engaged with his wife. They become one flesh, so on and so forth, representing a divine unity between the two. God being the adhesive in that relationship. He is the one that brings them together. That's why the Bible says what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. We kind of talked a little bit about this last week. You know, the first thing you have to consider is that God joined you two together. Now, we make mistakes in life, and so some folks come in after the fact and so on and so forth. God can still bring you two together, even in your state now. So you may not be married to the person that maybe God divinely had for you or originally had for you, but God can still, in his permissive will, join you two together to accomplish his will in your life. That's the hope. So that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes we mess up in life, but God can still take us from a messed up state and still make something perfect out of it. Amen. Y'all believe that? Okay. Now y'all looking at me like I'm, you know, like I'm the odd one here, but God can do it. Amen. He can take any messed up situation. And he can turn it around. Look at this. Disobedience. Eve knew what God said they were supposed to do. She didn't listen. But she was not the only one. Eve was deceived. Adam blatantly disobeyed. 
because he listened to his wife. Now, we husbands can't use that as an excuse not to listen to our wife. Now, we're not, we're not advocating that, but you just got to know who's speaking. Amen? <laughs> oh, man, you could take these lessons and just go on and on. So here it is, though. Both of them are in violation. Regardless of how it came about, look at God in his just ways. Both of them are in violation. So he addresses Adam. Hey, where you at, man? Adam says, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Who told you you was naked, Adam? Well, you know what? He didn't even, look, he didn't even answer the question. Automatically, look at human nature already kicking in as a result of sin. He starts blaming or trying to defer to someone else. Come on, Adam. Grow up. I wonder, I wonder if Adam would have right then and there said, I'm sorry, God. I messed up. I ate from, I ate from the fruit. I listened to my wife and I, and I ate from the fruit. I was wrong. I wonder what the outcome would have been. But that didn't happen. So he starts blaming Eve. All right, so God turns to Eve. Eve, what did you do? Oh, what does she do? Now, I wonder if Adam would have repented. I wonder what Eve would have did. Would she have followed the footsteps? Because it seems to me there was a pattern. So, who does he turn to? When she says, oh, the serpent beguiled me. He tricked me. So, God addresses the serpent. He didn't even asked him nothing. You cursed. I'm not even giving you an opportunity to say anything because you already know you're wrong. But then look at what he tells Eve. Verse 16 Unto the woman, he said, after he addresses the serpent, he says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy con- conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So this denotes to me that perhaps there was an opportunity, since he did give them the command to be fruitful and multiply from the beginning, that maybe there was a possibility, I'm sure, that they could have reproduced without the pain. That's what that denotes to me. I'm not saying that was the case, but just by reading this scripture... He says, from this point on, you're going to conceive, you're going to bear children, you're going to bring four children in sorrow. But look at the next part. And thy desire shall be to who? Come on, y'all work with me. Thy desire shall be to who? Y'all give me a moment, we can unravel this, okay? Shall be to thy husband. And what's the next part say? Come on, y'all don't whisper it. This is God saying this, right? And he shall do what? Well, we don't want to talk. We don't touch on that one. You're not going to tell me what to do. Who you think you are? You might be my husband, but you better step aside, man. 
Look at what the scripture says. He shall rule over thee. Now, let me clarify. This does not by any means advocate abuse or neglect or any means of maltreatment. That scripture is not advocating that. In fact, when you look in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, let's go there. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. What does it tell us? Everybody got it? First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. We're going here together. We're going to take this journey together. All right, what do we have? <laughs> what does it say? Now, why the wife reading that? Where you at, husbands? Let the husband do what? Render unto the wife. Do benevolence. Now, can I say something here? It doesn't mean you just start giving to the wife what you think they deserve. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, goodwill, kindness, and what is due her as his wife. It does not mean based upon her behavior. Well, you've been a good girl today, so we going to give you. No, that's not how that works. That's supposed to be part of your character as a husband. This is what you are supposed to do because she's your wife, regardless of how she behaves. Y'all remember Ezekiel or not? Uh, uh, Hosea, excuse me. You remember Hosea, the prophet who God told to marry a harlot. She keep running back to. Can you imagine? Girl, I keep trying to give you everything. We got kids and everything else and you still running to. No. You know today she wouldn't have lasted because somebody would have reacted the wrong way. Wouldn't have been giving her the benevolence as a wife. Give you what I think you deserve. Take you out. That's, that's the reality. Y'all, I try not to sugarcoat too much because we, we in a sugar society today. Everybody wins. It's all good. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And then, of course, it says, and likewise, the wife unto the husband. But it addresses the husband first. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I know this may be uncomfortable for some of y'all, but maybe y'all need to hear it. I'm not being rude. I'm not being mean. I'm just trying to teach the word of God. Trust me, when I'm done, I'll sit down. We'll be at the keyboard and... I won't mess with you. Ephesians 5 and 25. What does it say? 
Thank you. Husbands, love your wives. But just in case you're unclear as to what that love is supposed to be like, I'm going to give you something to pattern after, even as Christ had loved the church. So how many husbands are willing to give their lives for their wives? You don't have to raise your hand because I don't want nobody getting in trouble. But look at what he says. So if he's saying these things, Colossians chapter 3 verse 19 also tells us, gives us some instructions on how we're supposed to treat our wives. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. So there are some specific instructions on how we are supposed to be as husbands. So obviously, knowing that, and those scriptures are all in the New Testament, then we know that God's intent obviously was not for any of the wives to be mistreated. They're not doormats. Amen? Regardless of what is going on. This is where we get things twisted. This is part of putting life back into perspective. We have to start behaving. This is what I was talking about last week. That whole 50-50 thing. We get to the point where we think, I've done enough. You not making up the difference. So it's time to cut sling load. You got to go. It's time to do away with you. I've done my part. You're not doing yours. So hit the road, Jack or Jackie. But that's the problem. Because what I'm measuring as my 50% may not even amount to 50%. Or even my 100 may not. Take the measurements away and just put it back into perspective. Let me give my best effort. Because if I'm focusing on giving my best effort, I'm focusing less on what you are doing, and I'm giving more to the relationship. And if both parties go into the relationship with that mentality, you'll find more success. That's what used to happen. Think about the old relationships. Back in the day, why did they stay together? Because... Somebody was more focused on giving their best effort in the relationship rather than worrying about what you not given. I committed to this relationship, so whether you honor it or not, I'm going to honor what I said I was going to do. Both made a commitment, but I need to be focused on what I'm living up to. At the end of the day, I can't control you. If you decide to walk away, that's on you. But I can say at the end of the day, I've given my best effort. That's what I was focused on from day one. That never changed. Y'all with me? You give your best in the relationship. And you trust God with the rest. Remember now, marriage was designed by who? By God. Now, 
He says in Genesis chapter 3 to the woman, your husband shall rule over you. So we have already established that it does not mean that you walk all over the woman. That's not what he designed. That's not what he intended. But he's going to lead in the home and he has responsibility and that woman is accountable to her husband. Now, let's go to this next scripture here that some folks like to use. And I believe it's in Corinthians Y'all all right? So we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians chapter, or uh, Colossians chapter 3, or uh, 1 Corinthians. We'll come back to the scripture we was just at. Y'all give me a moment, my device is slow I want to point this one out because this is where I'm going to make my connection part of where we're going to make the transition here scripture tells us that the head of every man is who? Give me a second, y'all. I'm trying to pull this up. The head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. It is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that's verse 3. So, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. You'll see that, right? So, let's think about it. This just means that I am responsible as a husband for my home, for my wife. The Bible talks about praying with your head under, uncovered. When you start reading it, it talks about the man praying with his head, his head covered. Our, as the husband, your head is covered by Christ. It's referring to marriage, in the marriage relationship. So as a man, I'm, my covering is Christ. That's the head of the man, right? The head of the husband. And the head of the woman is the man. The head of the woman, or the woman praying with her head covered, is her husband. 
That means being in submission to her husband. Now, this is a problem, a huge problem in our society and in the church. Because now we live in a society where because women have, and there have been a lot of women have been misused and abused. So I don't by any means belittle that part of it. But it does not negate the responsibility of the wife in the relationship, in the proper relationship, the wife is supposed to be submitted to her husband. Now, if you're in abusive situations, that's why you need to talk to your pastor. Make sure you're talking to a man of God that's connected with God. I'm going to give you some wise counsel. Because there are ways to deal with that. And I'm not going to get into all of that because those are special situations. But at the end of the day, the way God designed for it to be, the woman is supposed to be submitted to her husband. That's the way God designed it. And again, I say one of the reasons why we can't be as effective as a church today is because we have taken things out of order. God has designed things to be in order. He established it. It's not for us to determine our own ways to handle the things of God. God has established it himself. So. The woman is submitted to her husband. I guarantee you, when you find a wife that's submitted to her husband, her home is going to be more at peace. Now, the other side of that is if the husband is submitted to Christ, then you find that's the husband that's not mistreating his wife. What I'm going to yell at my wife for because I don't like something that she did. I need to make sure I'm praying and in the right spirit. Things can be addressed without yelling at my wife. Things can be addressed without raising my hand at my wife. That's not the way God intended for me to treat my wife. Oh, pulling on some strings. But that's what God is getting at. We can't be effective as a church if we can't even get our own homes in order. My mother would tell you, and I, and I love my mother, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of putting out there a little bit, but I'll make sure I'll be dis, as discreet as possible. But she will tell you herself. She had learned some things over the years because she did not reverence her husband, my dad. She didn't know. She didn't realize what she was doing, and it caused a lot of havoc in our home growing up because things were not in order. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but she'll tell you, you know, you got my brother. Thank God God saved me from the life I was living. But my brother was not so fortunate, ended up in prison multiple times. You got my sister, my oldest sister. uh, She's younger than me, but she's the oldest of all the sisters that I have. She's got four children, but her relationship with them is so damaged Because of things that she has been through, abuse, and then abusing herself with all the alcohol and drugs that she used. And I believe she's been to jail as well. I love my family. Let me say that. I've got a younger sister who is still deciding on what her preference, her sexual preference is. These are things that were going on in the home. These were things that were already festering. 
things were out of order. I love my siblings. I talk to them today. But a lot of them are still dealing with the same situations that they've been dealing with. My brother grew up in the same home with the understanding about the Bible and God and what, at least what we were taught. But you talk to him today, he's still talking that Islam stuff. He didn't grow up like that. Confusion in the home. Why? Because nothing was in order. This is what happens. But if everything is in order, if the wife is submitted to the husband, if the husband is submitted to Christ, things are in order. Everybody has the right direction. Now, this is just based upon the biblical design of the way the relationship is supposed to be. And why is that important? Because look at the scripture we just read about husbands love your wives even as Christ love what? The church. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. I told you we were going to go back to here. We talked about marriage because the marriage is also a portrayal of the way the relationship is supposed to be between the church and Christ. So real quick, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at what verse 22 says. Wives, submit yourselves, and I'm only reading it again so that those that are listening, they know where we're at. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. See that? Did you not know that the pastor does not trump the husband the way God designed it? Did you know that? Oh, see? The way God designed it, your husband comes first, then the pastor. That's the biblical design. The pastor does not run that home. That's not the way God designed it. Your husband is who you submit to first. That's the biblical design. And then you submit to the man of God in the church. So by no means do I take away from submitting to the man of God, but doing things decent and in order, that wife is supposed to be submitted to her own Husband. For the husband is the head of the wife. Here's the connection, y'all. Even as Christ is the head of the church. We as a church ought to be submitted to Christ. This is the connection. We don't tell Christ what to do. He runs it. He rules, not us. He's the head. We submit to him. The, the church is supposed to be what? The bride of Christ, right? So as the bride, we submit to him. The church. We reverence him. We honor him as the husband. He is the head. He is the lead. When we don't, we dishonor our husband. When we go through the motions and we're not, you know, here's what I define faithful as. Not because you show up every Sunday. That's not just faithfulness. You're just in attendance. 
just because you go through the motions and you wave your hands and you jump around and flop around like a chicken, you know, because you emotionally happy doesn't mean you're faithful to God. Can I say it a little bit more? Just because you pay your tithes and your monetary dues don't mean you're being faithful to Christ. It involves your whole entire life. I can pay my wife all the money I want, but if I'm still dibbing and dabbing out of the home, I'm not being faithful to my wife. So what? She gets the paycheck. If I'm not there as her husband, I'm still not faithful to her. And if she's doing it, she's not faithful to me. Just because I'm present in the home doesn't mean I'm being faithful. If I'm surfing websites I shouldn't be surfing, I'm not being faithful. Oh, the world says it's okay to look. That's still being unfaithful because I'm looking because I'm desiring after something else. Bible says if you look on a woman to lust after her, you still committed what? In your heart. So you're still not faithful. Going through the motions. I showed up. But I'm not faithful. It takes more than just your physical presence or your monetary contributions. I can show up for a task, you know, a and say, hey, we go clean the church. Woo, yeah, all right. You know how many folks get an emotional feel and leave out in the same condition? If not worse, because they're going through the motions. Being faithful requires your whole entire being. That's what God expects of us as a church, to be faithful to him as his bride. When he comes back, he's not looking for someone who's just going through the motions. He's looking for someone that has substance. He says, I'm coming back for a church that's without what? Spot or wrinkle. You haven't been dibbing and dabbing in the world. No, you are in. You're all in. And you're head over heels in love with me. You're committed to me. But we can't get to that point as a church if we can't get our own personal relationships together. I know this is a hard, tough lesson because it really, you have to think about it. But it's important to God. He's the one that designed it. So you got to look at yourself. Whether you're married or unmarried, it, that's beside the point. We can waste our time talking about the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and all that other stuff. Stop boohooing, pick up yourself, dry your tears, and then figure out what you need to do to get in line with God. Amen? My time is up. And I can't talk about this no more because next week we're going to talk about something else. But listen, I do love y'all. God loves you best. Let's make sure we are in line with what God is telling us to do so we can be more effective. Amen?